Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of the Delta Flyers. This week, our special guest is none other than Kristana Loken. Welcome, Kristana. Welcome. Thank you. Thank hey. you. So nice to be back on your show. I'm yeah, sorry. I know. Yes. You should get like some kind of merch for this. Like, I know. We got to get you we a have to t-shirt or something. Or, something, or, or maybe a Delta Frequent Flyers program. Oh, yes. <laughs> there you go. You get a Frequent Flyer membership. Flyers, bro. I love it. Okay. Well, as you know, the strike's going on, and we are definitely staying away from anything in terms of struck projects and whatnot. So let's dive deep into Kristana Loken. On Wikipedia, it says that you were born in possibly Ghent, New York, and possibly Wisconsin. I mean, can you clear this up? Of where were you born? And you know, give us the beginning. Where do of your you come life. from? Where do you hail from? I come from planet Earth. No, uh, <laughs> You're an I, Earthling. Yes. Yeah. It, Interesting. My, my parents are actually from Wisconsin. So that's okay. the Wisconsin piece. Uh, I hear the Wisconsin in your accent, by the way. No. A little bit. I've never lived in Wisconsin. When See? you say Wisconsin, <laughs> it sounds like you're from Wisconsin. 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 No. I'm going to. Midwestern. A default. I don't I, know. You're a Midwestern. Okay. Um, so my parents are from there, but I yeah. grew up in upstate New York, where okay. I was born um, in Hudson, New York. Um, oh, I love Hudson. Right, but, how have you been? Oh, yes. I love Hudson. What a great town. Hudson has gotten so cool yeah. and trendy ever it's since very I trendy. left. I don't huh. know if it's something that I did or said. But yeah, no, what did you do? It's, yeah. all, it's, it's all thanks to you. It's all thanks to me. No, my parents uh, had a farm there. I'm going to raise my cup called Love Apple Farm, if you can oh, see this. Oh, wow. uh, yes. Established in 1969. Oh, um, they had what's... it for 43 years until they sold it about 10 years ago. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Nice. So, so Woodstock was happening right across the river. That's right. Woodstock in 69, and your parents started the Love Apple Farm. That's a good right. fit. That's and a after good they fact. were, after they uh, started the farm, you came around 10 years later, correct? So that's, is that, or am I right that on is that? A, okay. That is accurate. Yep. My All sister right. was grew up on the farm and um, it was an amazing place to grow up. I absolutely loved it. Um, so they had a big gourmet roadside market and bakery and petting zoo for kids and wow. um, really a, a family destination in the summer and fall months. Um, what type so of produce did they uh, did they grow mostly? What was the They range? were the largest peach growers in the Northeast because wow. when you think about the Georgia peach, right? Yeah. So the climate, obviously in upstate New York, is quite different than Georgia. But my dad was a real pioneer of his kind, enabling um, a real delicacy um, with the peach to be grown in upstate New York. He would yeah. even aerate so it didn't freeze the air with helicopters to really try to ensure the quality of the fruit. He also coined the phrase tree ripe, which we've all heard of now. Wow. You guys know what tree ripe actually means? No. It means you leave it on the tree until it is ready to eat. You don't yeah, pull it off and let it mature from a green state. Or, oh, yeah, right. sure. That's pretty yeah. much it. So you may do something called spot picking, which is picking the same tree several times to really ensure that ripeness. 
So, and they pressed their own cider. They had, um, they were also pioneers with the cloudy cider that we drink now. That's very common. Yes. That wasn't a thing before. It was just apple juice, the clear, really sugary stuff. Right. Yeah. They did a natural cider. They also did hard cider. And uh, their slogan there was love apple farm, love juice may cause amorous behavior. (laughs) (laughs) So they had a good sense of humor. My dad had also been an actor in New York. My mother had been a model and they kept a place in the city for years and they would kind of go back and forth until my mother retired and the farm really took over. But did they have farming in their uh, in their roots, in their background? Did your dad or your mother's parents farm? Like, why did they decide, let's start a farm? I'm just curious if they were one was was an actor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My dad uh, grew up on a dairy farm, actually, in Wisconsin, as you do. Um, And my mother really had no farming background, but it was 1969. You know, it was the whole back to the earth movement in that kind of organic phase. And um, they were sick of really the New York City lifestyle and they wanted something a little bit more earthy. So I love that. I love that. And uh, your grandparents are both Norwegian, correct? Yes. So my dad is... um, First generation on his dad's side, second generation on his mother's side, grew up speaking Norwegian. Wow. Um, And my mother is a mixture of Norwegian-German background. Mm -hmm. But we've we've done our Ancestry.com, and Mm -hmm. things are pretty much as we thought they would be, um, with some few exceptions that we found out along the way. (laughs) It's, It's always interesting to find a surprise on those DNA sites. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And the more that I've I've told people about, you know, uh, finding out different ethnic backgrounds, et cetera, it's, it's not such a surprise. Yeah, others talk about it too, for sure. Yeah, it's funny. A, a very dear friend of mine in New York, when I went to school in New York, we're still good friends. And he's a gay man in his 60s now, early 60s. And he sort of was feeling very lonely in life, you know, a few years back. And uh, didn't have a partner, didn't his family had, you know, disappeared. So he decided to do ancestry and do the DNA thing. Long story short, he discovered that he was a father and a grandfather because when he was going to college in New York, he went to a sperm bank to make some money. And he had forgotten about this. He had gone to the sperm bank to make 50 bucks or whatever. I'm you sorry, how do you forget about that? <laughs> Exactly. Because, you know, he was young. Forget that I have a kid, but it's a little different process for a woman. But anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, he just, you know, it, it it was such a distant memory and such an insignificant kind of, oh, I need 50 bucks and they're offering it. I saw it in the back of the paper. I'll go do this. Right. And it really just brought about this entire sort of belonging, this sense of belonging and connection and that he really was needing and 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 had no idea he was just looking for some relatives because he's like yeah a lot of people have passed away i was yeah anyway well that's very i actually too have gained a sister oh oh wow oh my goodness i gained a sister we we (laughs) knew she was out there um (laughs) but she found us oh man um younger older uh, what older okay Yeah, yeah. So I have. How was that? How? Yeah. What kind of impact did that have on you? That must have been. It was during profound. COVID, 
And um, I mean, no sooner did I get my whole family on Ancestry.com than about six months later, my dad receives this beautiful letter um, and we meet uh, her and her lovely husband Mm. and um, now her children and grandchildren. And um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful adjunct to our family and our family tree and our history. And it's really special, I guess. My dad at the time was 88. You know, you can still get surprises at 88. <laughs> it's been really great. Yeah. Does she wow. resemble you when you when you first met she her? She does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she really does. You yeah. can definitely see it, you know, that she looks like my father. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's got a similar jawline. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty neat. Wow. Yeah, it's so interesting how a lot of the uh, Scandinavians that settled in the U.S. settled in Wisconsin and Minnesota. It was just like, wham, so many to the point that the Minnesota Vikings are the Vikings for a reason, you know, because of the amount of Scandinavian Americans that are there. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure of that genesis, but my dad likens it to the similarity of the topography of the land, Ah. climate. And all of that, you know, mm, and mm-hmm. Vikings, we like to work hard and to farm there with all the rocks and the inclement yeah. weather. You've got to be pretty tough. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And I should also say I gained also a cousin. So the family oh, nice. family is growing. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Wow. That's amazing. What so part it's, of the Midwest are you from? Well, he's not I'm, Midwest. He's I'm not South. Midwestern. Yeah, My wife oh, is from the there. Midwest. She's from Michigan, but uh, I am from the South. I'm from North Carolina and Georgia mostly. Yeah. That's why I'm representing the Georgia Bulldogs, current national champions uh, today. You, are you a sports ball enthusiast? Do you follow any sports uh, teams at all? I'm just curious. Oh, boy. Here we go with this. I just, just got to throw it out there. I want to know. Me? I'm curious. Um, I grew up being a Cubs fan with my father because uh, when he was growing up, there was no Brewers. That was not a team yet. So the closest team was the Chicago Cubs. Uh. For my 15th birthday, I told him that I wanted to take the train from upstate New York to Chicago to Wrigley Field. We stayed with my aunt and uncle and we saw like two or three games and it was great. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. That's so I like cool. baseball the best. That's my favorite professional sport. And yeah. I'm a nice. big, big fan of the Olympics. I will watch pretty yeah. much any sport save for curling. You know, I, I, can, I can do without oh, curling. You gotta give curling oh, a Give chance. curling a shot, please. Yes, it's a good curling. sport. That's it is. amazing. I was going to say, I will always stop the channel when curling is on. I'm I'm the opposite of you. That I love curling. Oh, my God. See, I, I guess I just don't understand it enough. I don't either, yeah. but it doesn't matter. It's so, it's so silly. And, and they're and so intense. into it when they're lying so up and everything. It's, there's I so guess. much drama. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> The brushing yeah, I, and the sweeping and all the all of it. Oh, yeah, I think amazing. for me, it's it's definitely the human stories. You know, I just yeah. I love rooting for people. I love feeling how hard mm-hmm. they worked for something. You know, mm-hmm. they've dedicated themselves to all of this, and this may be the one and only shot that they've got. Yeah, and it's beautiful. The sacrifice yeah. and the be- self belief and all of those yeah. things that are incredible qualities of life right you know mm-hmm. so um yeah love you well speaking of people taking their shot yes speaking of people taking their shot so you became an actress how did that 
happen? Like you said, your your parents were sort of in the business in New York. Your father was an actor. Was he a theater actor, a TV actor? Um, he did a little bit of everything. Um, yeah. And uh, my mother, as I mentioned, was quite a successful model for about mm-hmm. 20 years. Um, she did various different campaigns, uh, TV commercials, et cetera. They did live out in L.A. for a bit, but New York was really what was the best match for them. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, as far back as I can remember, since I was like three years old, I wanted to be an actress. Wow. It was really clear. There was no question about there was there was a brief stint when I watched um, Indiana Jones and I thought maybe I'll be an archaeologist. <laughs> and then I went, no, no, I think I, I can think pretend to be an archaeologist if I'm an right. actress. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Crocodile Dundee, too. Like, I like all the adventure, you know, out there kind of explorative yeah. um, projects and, and things <laughs> I was growing up. So, but that's so ever since you were. Three, Three years, years old. old, you you knew you wanted to be an actress. Do you think that was because your parents were in the business? Were you sort of like modeling what they were doing yeah, in some did. way? Or was this your own? No, because at that point, they both retired. I mean, my dad. The farm. They were already doing the farm. They that already yeah. had the farm. Yeah. And my, my dad also, I should say, is a fairly prolific writer. I mean, still at the age of 91, he churns out more content that's it's unbelievable. Wow. Wow. So he would write in the off season. Um, but I really think it was just kind of in my blood, that artistic mm. gene. And I was fortunate enough to have various different types of lessons. You know, I did summer stock theater. I did mm. several different types of dance. I did horseback riding. Um, and I was just really driven. So um, when I was 13, I was watching um, this movie and there was this uh, actress in it who was like around my age, blonde hair, blue eyes, Nicole Tom, who ironically later became my friend when I moved out here. Wow. I saw her in the movie and I said, um, you know, how do I get to do that? And um, my dad said, well, why don't I, you know, take you to New York, which was only a couple hour train ride. And you can meet my old agent and see how it goes. Mm. And I did. And who was who was that agent? In it New was Monty Silver. Oh, I remember Monty Silver agent. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was in yeah. New York in the 80s. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Small world. Um, and so <laughs> I started working with Monty, and he said, you know, while you're here, there's actually uh, a job that you would be right for, which I will not name because <laughs> I think potentially it's a struck company. I will just say it's a daytime soap. Okay. 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 And um, I auditioned for that job. And I remember kind of uh, auditioning with my, my love interest, Jason Biggs. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> all too interested in the uh, kissing part of the scene <laughs> that we had. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I ended up getting the job and I thought, well, this is really easy. You just kind of go. It was like my first Your audition. first audition. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, wow. uh, beginner's luck. Um, yeah. But I, I went in. So I did that um, show for about three 
plus three to six months. They wanted me to become a regular, but I thought, well, I'd like to try some other things. So I did uh, various different TV series in New York. And then I had auditioned for a job in New York that was going to be filming in LA and they Mm. flew out and they screen tested me. Um, And I said, well, if I get the job, I'll stay. At this point I was 16. And if not, I don't want to be just another blonde out of work actress in LA (laughs) back home. I'll go back to New York, but I ended up getting the job and staying. Wow. Oh, wow. Well, the, so 13 was the how old you were when you booked that soap opera, or was it 14? Yeah. At that, it 13. was 13. Yeah. And your dad didn't like a lot of showbiz parents or a lot of parents that are actors. A lot of times they'll tell their kids, look, this is unless you really, really need to be an actor, don't get into this business because, you know, there's a lot of caveats because they've seen the ups and downs of how sure. crazy this business can be. Um, but your father seemed to be very uh, supportive and very, you know, he was like, okay, I'll introduce you to, to my agent, my old agent. So he yeah. never gave you any caveats like, Hey, sweetie, this is the one side of business. I need it. Did he ever, you know, did they warn you? you? Down? Did they warn you about anything? You know, they were great. I mean, my mother also super supportive and um, from the modeling side of things too. Um, they really saw how driven I am and was And they waited until I said, you know, I really want to do that when I saw that movie. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like they were pushing me. I was just happy upstate doing my lessons in summer stock theater, et cetera. Um, But it was that drive that they supported. And so when I came out to L.A., um, yeah, I got emancipated so I could work adult hours. And Mm -hmm. um, it really just went from there. And wow. you had, you know, by the time you showed up and, you know, we got to meet you, you were 19 at the time. So that Actually, is. On no? your show, I think yeah. I was 17. What? Wow. Yes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't you kiss me on the show? Like on the cheek, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, wait a minute. You were, you were not even eight. I thought you were not. You were 17 on our show. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay. But still, you were a four or five year veteran of the industry right. at that point. Yeah. So you, I hear I thought you were brand new newbie newbie, but no, you'd already cut your teeth in New York on the soap. And That's true. yeah, and TV series, etc. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, I didn't know that. Okay. Wow. Um, is there anyone in grade school, middle school, high school drama teacher, someone that really, you know, had a big impact? You know was very impactful in your life in terms of your direction in becoming an actor. Yes. I think, I think it would really be, um, honestly, my dad, mm. I would have to say. Mm. Sounds like it. Yeah. My father and also my, my mother's belief. Um, you know, it's like my mantra through the years has always been believe in and follow your dreams. Mm-hmm. And their attitude was like, well, if it's if it's not you, it'll be someone else. So why not have it be you? You know, yeah. and it was just kind of like, oh, all right, sure. I'll just go out there and do it. And my mom had a great piece of advice. She said, Kristana, if you go on an audition or an interview and they ask if you can do something, she says, always say that you can. Because then once they hire you, they've hired you and you can figure it out. Yes. <laughs> you can <figure> <laughs> I did that once on a Western. They were like, and I'd ridden horses as a kid, but they asked me, oh, do you ride horses? I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. I rode a lot when I was younger. Yeah. And I got the job 
I was like, I was supposed to play like the lead teamster on this wagon train. Like I, I should be great <laughs> at horses. I should look like you should be like, the pro. Yeah. I should be the best horse rider around. And, and... anyway, so I went, I, I thought I got to go take lessons. I got to learn how to, you know, right? I did this as a kid at summer camp, but I'm not a like a horse. <laughs> I'm not a cowboy. So I go out and spend like a whole afternoon with this trainer trotting, cantering, you know, doing all the stuff. I got home and I literally had blisters on my butt, the size of like a silver dollar on each cheek, <laughs> like big blisters, like, you know, that fill with a liquid, that kind of, I was like, like a boil. what is you happening? Boils. So did you pull it off? I pulled did it off. Yeah. I rode the horse. Right. I did wow. the thing. Yeah. Right. Well, especially if you're trying to, you know, because I, I did grow up riding and I've never you know, driving a, a a wagon with a team of horses, if that's what you were doing, that's a whole different No, I was thing. I was in the saddle with the alongside the the wagon train. All the pioneers were oh, driving God. their own or they had someone else driving, but I was the one that was kind of supposed to be like the the top cowboy that's leading the wagon train in the out west. <laughs> The one with yeah. the most experience. The yes. one with the most boils on his butt. <laughs> That's the one that I Hopefully played. they had popped by the time that you I act- think they had. I think, but it was very painful. Wait, yeah. I want to get back to though. You, I love that you said your dad was maybe one of your biggest inspirations. That's very sweet and touching and wonderful. Um, it also sounds to me like your parents, like talking about creativity is where I'm going with this. They were both kind of, you know, your your father's an actor, but you mentioned he writes. He writes all the time. Your mother was a, a model. A lot of creativity in in campaigns and being a model. There's a lot of creativity going on there. And then the fact that they created this farm. They created, like, the creativity plays out in so many different ways. It's not just, you know, TV shows and movies. It's it's farming. It's it's. It's selling, you know, creating a, a brand for your farm and, and creating coming up that with that to, logo, the, the, coming up with the logo or, stuff. or peaches, you know, mm. being creative about how you think about growing peaches. So, um, yeah, I guess it's more a comment than a question, but I like, I love the fact that, you know, it sounds like you were in a really creative family and, yeah. and enthusiastically creative in lots for of ways. Sure. Very yeah. creative, and also I, I think really allowing the space for me to yeah. flourish in that environment and not have to think within a box. You know, it's yeah. like, well, well, what do you think about that, and how do you think it should be, and blah. Mm-hmm. You know, the way in which that they engaged me, which frankly is what I try to do with my son. And and I went to a creative school. I went to a, a Waldorf school. I don't oh, know yeah. Um, Rudolf Steiner and and his philosophy around education and I absolutely loved it and then um, once I started working I did a homeschool program um, that followed the Waldorf tradition and um, yeah my son's now in in a Montessori school and I just think there's so many different ways that we can live our best life you know what I mean it's like people get so boxed into like well it's got to be like this and rule bound and Mm -hmm. otherwise I'm not okay and it's like well what if what if we try something totally different and what if we like that better? You know, mm-hmm. Why not? yeah, mm-hmm. 
You know, that's one thing that I would I will remark about meeting you when you were 17, uh, when you came on our show, <laughs> was that you have this energy about you, which is an anything is possible energy. You know, I'm open to trying whatever energy, which is really refreshing. So I just want to throw that out there. Or maybe that was just your youthful exuberance. But I'm going to say that I liked what you brought to the set immediately. Thank you so much. No, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. I think I I think I still embody that even, you know, on set, whether it's problem solving or whatever. I mean, yeah. I, um, you know, I, I just shot a movie uh, in nine days and that wow. is the fastest <laughs> that I have ever shot a film. And so talk about like creatively thinking outside of the box uh, and yeah. knowing here's, here's our time frame in which we have to do it. Um, I'm going to come in ultra prepared because I know we don't have margin for error, you know, and, and how do we, and it was a bit of a surrealistic theme. So we had the ability, um, to really create what we wanted. And, uh, with the help of, of the cinematographer, I think we, we got some really great stuff, but yeah. Wow. Can you, is that a struck company? Can you talk about that? It's not. No, I can happily talk about that. This film is called, um, Dark Night of the Soul uh, mm-hmm. by Trick Candle Productions. And um, we shot only 40 minutes away from where I grew up um, in upstate mm. New York. In wow. a town where I used to ski called Wyndham, New York. Uh-huh. I know and, Wyndham. And uh, Dark Night of the Soul is taken from a poem, an old poem from the 1800s, meaning your Dark Night of the Soul is basically upon death looking at your life's journey and coming to a place of acceptance so you can pass on to the afterlife. Mm. And this woman, uh, my character, uh, has a very high position at the CDC. It's Mm. during a pandemic. Mm. And uh, it's my survival movie. She gets into a car accident at the beginning of the film and gets pinned in the car. And through her dark night of the soul, she and the amount of blood loss that she's experiencing through her leg um, and in her slow process of death um, looks at a projected conversation of hallucination with the father played by Martin Cove. Mm -hmm. Um, Also uh, some flashbacks of a conversation she had with the sister and coming to terms with the fact that her husband and daughter were patient one and two of the pandemic, mm. and she has not been able to find the cure yet. Oh. So, so it's a light comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds hilarious. Yeah. So it's uh, no, I think it's um, I think it's going to be a beautifully intense and touching film. Um, that sounds so, great. Yeah, it sounds very fun. intense. Yeah. And is that so that's amazing. You got to do something with a, a non-struck company. There are still these independent companies that are producing all kinds of things. Is there anything else you've been working on recently? Yeah. Um, oh, so obviously, yep, that that they got their waiver all good there um, with uh, three other films that we did before the strike that are upcoming for release. Mm-hmm. Um, one is uh, called Darkness of Man. Mm-hmm. Another one with dark in the title. Yes. Another comedy, hilarious. <laughs> exactly. Another knee life. slapper. Another feel good Hallmark exactly. type of movie. Yes. Exactly. Darkness. Um, okay. It's a, kind of a neo noir thriller um, okay. with Jean Claude Van Damme. I play oh, wow. his 
love interest. Oh. Um, and uh, James Cohn Bressack, a really great upcoming young uh, filmmaker, wrote and directed it. Um, and that is being released, uh, I believe, in theaters in February. Right. Um, and then another film I shot uh, earlier this year called No Address. Mm. And um, my friend Julia Verdon uh, wrote, produced and directed it. And she it's about the homeless crisis that we're experiencing mm. in the U.S. And mm. I don't know you guys, I don't believe are in L.A., but I am. And we have the largest in city homeless community in the country, 60,000 people. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, through covid, it just exploded yeah. and it's been so tragic. Um, so what she did is she got on a bus with a homeless expert and mm. they went to 17 different cities interviewing people in the homeless community and hearing their stories. Mm -hmm. And she made a documentary and then she wrote a scripted feature, um, which is what I'm a part of. Right. Um, and Billy Baldwin plays my husband. And mm. all of these stories that you hear in this film are inspired um, by stories that she heard from the people that she met. Um, yeah, doing wow. Documentary. Wow. So, uh, no address, important film. You know, we hope to really raise some awareness about Definitely. what's going on. Um, That's great. Mm -hmm. And then, last but certainly not least, um, my company, Trio Entertainment, produced a film called Vice and Virtue, um, and which I'm mm -hmm. also in. And this is a film about two celestial beings, Vice and Virtue, take mm -hmm. human form, come to planet Earth, and impose this judgment day on about half a dozen people that find themselves in an undisclosed location over the course of the night. So this is a film about choices and these people staring their choices in the face and how some choices take us on one path and some take us along another mm. route. So what will they choose over the course of this evening? So that should also be out um, later next year. Oh, wow. Oh. That sounds fun. Did you write that as well or? No, I didn't write it. Um, I'm not really a writer per se. I think I'm a, a pretty decent script doctor. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think my next foray, I did produce it, as I mentioned, but my next foray would be into directing. I think I'd like mm -hmm. to direct next. Yeah. Great. Yeah, great, you're talking great. about these yeah, these projects. They're great. One thing that I that crossed my mind was that there have been quite a few projects that have been produced and aired I, I I was like, you know, Kristana should have been on some of these. You know, mm. maybe you maybe you did audition. I have no clue, but there's been a lot of them out there for sure. Yeah, I have um I I certainly it's funny. I'm look, there's a picture right here uh from a miniseries that I did where I play Queen of of Iceland, Queen oh. of Iceland. Oh wow. So here you get a little bit, I don't know if you can see that. Oh the, yeah. Whoa. That's a cool, what a cool shot. When was that? Uh, this we shot, gosh, maybe 15 or so years ago. And that yeah. was in uh, South Africa. We wow. shot it there. Um, <laughs> South, Africa, South Africa doubled for Iceland? Wow. We did a big, big major green screen. Yeah. yeah. Massive. Okay. Massive. Because, okay. yeah, otherwise, yeah, yeah. I, I'm so hot in all of those furs. Let me tell I you. Bet. I bet. I bet. Jesus. 
Um, but uh, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just seeing like the second AD going. Stop! Wait, wait, wait. There's an elephant in the shot right now. I mean, you're in like <laughs> you're next to a game preserve, and here you are, supposedly in Iceland. You know? Oh my exactly, goodness! Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you have done. You have played your heritage then in that project. Yeah. Yes, I, okay. Good. I good. And and I'm sure I will more. And you know, I get to ride a horse in that one and in others. And of course, as actors, as you know, anytime we get to do one of our skills, we're yeah. quite happy to. showcase it did you um did you sprinkle modeling in to while you were you know while you're acting or did you just completely just go into acting and stop did you do any modeling because i think it said you did some modeling yeah i started acting first and that was always my um forte shall we say but Mm -hmm. um modeling was very lucrative for me Mm -hmm. and um i did pretty well with it, quite well with it. I traveled all over the world when I was younger modeling as well, but I really, the inspiration for me was really acting. Um, You know, giving to an inanimate object um, wasn't nearly as gratifying as, as interacting with another person, obviously, and creating the humanity around the story and what that person has gone through, you know. Larry Moss, great acting teacher that I've had the privilege of studying with, he asked this question that is like the best question to me. What would someone need to know in order to play you? Mm, mm, and if you question. just let that land, you think about all the specificity and all the experiences and the ups and downs. And that to me is inspiring. I love people. I love humanity. Yeah. Um, so, but what I will say about modeling is it gives you great camera awareness and body awareness and presence. And I think that coupled with the dance background that I had really lent itself well to doing a lot of action too, mm-hmm. because learning mm-hmm. choreography for me was made sense, even yeah, though the body right. positioning may be different if you're in a fight stance to in a dance stance, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it was all helpful. Nice. Okay. How do you how do you keep your creative juices going between some of these projects? Like what do you have any ha- creative habits or do you go to class still? Do you go to acting class? Um, yeah, I continually study from time to time and mm-hmm. I feel like um you know what really kept me going through COVID was developing vice and virtue mm-hmm. uh, with the uh writer director um and, you know, I feel like I'm always move, moving the ball forward in some way creatively, whatever that is. And it seems yeah. to be changing, whether it's leaning more on the producing aspect and figuring out, you know, I mean, that may not be more technical than, than it is creative, but there's something that I always will find um, that is a creative outlet. Um, but it does it does vary. But I think as as a creative person, as an artist, you really need that or you start to go a little bit nuts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you book a role as an actor, what do you what is your process in terms of breaking down um, the script or or the scenes that you're in? Like, what do you usually do your your go to routine? It's a great question. Um I always and I'm looking at it right here. I always keep some sort of a, a journal. Um, or a notebook and um, depending on the character there's different entry points but I I always write a backstory and really get the specificity of where they're from 
who is their family, mm-hmm. why are they choosing what they're choosing in the script, mm-hmm. um, and really gain clarity on that. Um, is it a physical role? Do I have physical demands on my body? I've really tried to sculpt my body to different roles through the years. I mean, with mm-hmm. some jobs, I've put on a lot of muscle and muscle mass and, you know, increased my body weight and gotten into, an, an, you know, really incredible shape. And other, you know, if the character is more frail and vulnerable, then maybe it's just getting lighter and, and you know, losing weight, you know, so maybe I'll up my cardio. So I look at it from a physical perspective too, like where is this person physically in their life? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, um, you know, really getting clear on the dialogue and then forgetting the dialogue and really finding the um, emotional through line uh, in the character. And uh, and then it just, you know, it's like the script they write, the script they shoot and the script they they edit. Um, <laughs> right. And like in the project we just did, like I said, I knew we had a very limited amount of time and I had so much dialogue that I wanted to be, I, I didn't even want that to be a thought because there was there was so much rich, richness in her and what she was going through in her life that, you know, once you forget all of that because you know it, you can really allow the emotion to, to, go, to shine through. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like each job is tailor-made a little bit for what the specifics are, but mm-hmm. um, there's, there's always things that I, that I do. And those are pretty much the parameters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you, you've you done that, you know, molding of your phys- physical self, like Christian Bale, Christian Bale's most known for gaining a, tons of weight and dropping tons of uh, pounds off. Right. So, that, and that's, that's a tough thing to do. It's not easy to, to, to cut, to change no. your body type like that in, in, in the drop of a, of a hat. That's amazing that you, you know, that you do that. So thank you yeah. for that. I've had that, had the help of a great nutritionist through the mm-hmm. years too. Yeah. yeah, that'll do it. Okay. Well, we, we just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And yeah. good luck. thank you. Yes. Good luck on all those projects that are coming out that you told us about. Hope everyone will check those out. And, for oh, all and of I our- realized I never mentioned the name of the picture I show you. That's Dark Kingdom. Oh, in the, okay. the one with dark. I've done so many. Yeah. Dark. What dark is it with the night? Yeah, I know. Soul, dark soul, yeah. dark night, dark, dark. Okay. Dark was, that, was that soap in- opera you did called Dark Shadows? Maybe that was an old soap opera. I don't know. I think you should. Well, you should... Not for that one, but um, yeah, and in Die Belungen in in Germany. But I ah. realized what good is showing a picture, you know, without the the name. You oh, know, yeah. if, you, if you need a new name for your production company, it could be Dark Viking Productions or something like go. that. Okay, <laughs> just want to throw that out there. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, this um, has been so great. Thank you both. Yes. So much. Thank, Thank you for you. coming coming yep. back and coming on the podcast. It's mm-hmm. been really really fun. And for Patreon patrons, please stay tuned for your bonus material. <laughs>